I hear that music, I'm going, am I supposed to sing? Am I supposed to dance? What are you supposed to do while you're waiting? I think maybe I'll talk about this guy named Paul, okay? Uh, Paul is, was a small business owner here in Northeast Ohio. He was in the ATM machine uh, getting some money out of the bank and was robbed and actually beaten with a pipe. So he ended up in the hospital uh, for months after that. And uh, there in the hospital, he couldn't take care of business, so he lost his business. His wife ended up le leaving him, and he just kind of lost everything. So he ended up in a men's shelter. And there in the men's shelter, he was addicted to uh, painkillers. And so his life just became a big mess. Uh, homeless guy, heard about a ministry that two of our people started called Care on the Square. It's a ministry to help people that are homeless and in all kinds of needs. And so that's how Tom and Sue here at our church began a relationship with this guy named Paul. Uh, they would see him for a while when they went down to, to give meals to people that are homeless, and then he would disappear for m many months. But eventually they could see that he was turning a corner and he tried to become free from these addictions, put his life back together. And when the time came for him to actually move out of the men's shelter, Tom and Sue uh, took him uh, to a thrift store and helped him buy the things that he would need for his new apartment. And now, Paul, life has been turned all the way around. He's had a stable job for years as a manager of a building. Now he comes back to care on the square to actually help other people in need. Uh, he's like a true encouragement to the homeless because he can speak with authority. I know what you're going through. I've been there. My life has changed, and so can yours. And a few years ago, he wrote a note to Tom and Sue, and here's what he said. I just wanted to send you a little reminder about the work you do. I am one of your successes. I am an apartment manager, and I am doing God's work. Love you. And God bless. I just love stories like that. A changed life, yeah, a changed life. Because of some people in this church who, in, who realized we got more than we need and we want to help people in need. I just wonder, what if you had a story like Tom and Sue have about serving somebody like Paul whose life has been changed? I just believe God wants to do more and more of that through people like me, people like you. We all have more than we need to help people in need. Now, if you're here today and you're a guest and you're kind of not sure that you really want to align yourself with Christianity or with, with the church because you think, you know, Christians are kind of full of it, they're hypocrites, they don't walk their talk, they don't really care for the poor and the needy and the broken and the oppressed like they should, then I think you're going to like this message. <laughs> because you're going to find out that Jesus agrees with you, that maybe we don't walk the talk. In fact, Jesus was constantly critical of the smug, self-righteous, irreligious elite. What we've been doing in this series called Aha Moments is we've been looking at the parables of Jesus in the book of Luke. 
And parables are these stories that, um, heavenly stories, uh, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And here's the big aha moment for me through the series. This series has shown me more clearly than ever before that these stories that Jesus told were to a large degree directed at the good church-going folk of his day. He is over and over challenging people that would show up on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, the religious elite. They were crafted, these stories are crafted by Jesus to rebuke the people who felt like we're God's people. It's been eye-opening to me in a new and fresh way. These parables are Jesus' way of confronting people that are self-assured, self-righteous, holier than thou, and think they got their ticket punched to heaven. And I think that's why these stories needed to be heard by the church today. By us. Churches all around the world, but particularly in the West, are filled with unintentional Pharisees. And every time Jesus told another story to rebuke the religious elite, he was turning up the tension between himself and the religious establishment, a tension that would ultimately cumulate in him being put to death on a cross. So this parable today that we're going to look at is told in the context of an increasing tension between Jesus and the religious crowd. They didn't realize that the reason they had more than they needed was to help people in need. Do you realize that? I got more than I need to help people in need. Let's get started with a little self-assessment here, okay? So uh, give yourself a score on a scale of one, zero to three. Zero's never, one sometimes, two often, three almost always. So just, just three little statements and grade yourself. Here's the first one. I am a generous person who actually and practically, actually and practically, cares for the poor and the needy, the broken and the oppressed. Zero, one, two, three. Second, I make a point to care for people that others ignore. And the last one, the genuineness of my generosity is proof that I'm saved by grace through faith. I mean, we're not saved by giving money to poor people. But if you are saved, you will give money to poor people. So the genuineness of my generosity proves that I'm actually a real follower of Jesus. Again, give yourself a grade. You know, if you want to grow in any of these three, this is a message for you. So open up your Bibles today, fire up your apps today to Luke chapter 16, and we're actually going to start with verse 14, which is a little prelude to the parable itself. Now, just before Jesus tells the parable that we're going to deal with today, he tells another parable in the first part of chapter 16, and that's the passage that Pastor Chad unpacked for us last week. It's the parable of the dishonest manager. And Pastor Chad taught us that Jesus wants us to use our money shrewdly and generously and faithfully. And then Jesus concludes, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then Chad challenged us, do you have money or does money have you? Now these Pharisees, these rich, religiously self-righteous leaders, they heard these things from Jesus and they didn't like it at all because Jesus is messing with their bank accounts and their wallets and pocketbooks and their retirement plans. So between the two parables, the one from last week and the one from today, 
Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, this is the religious crowd. These are the Sunday school teachers. They heard these things and they ridiculed him. They heard, you cannot serve both God and money, and they ridiculed Jesus for it. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You guys think you're right with God? You're not. You're an abomination. The law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. You can't just put it in cruise control. You've got to go after God hard. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So again, he is like going after the religious elite for loving money, for seeking to justify themselves, and for ignoring Old Testament authority. And you're going to see all of these themes in this story that Jesus tells. If Jesus were here today, the type of people that he'd be telling this story to would be us. Think about it. Compared to the rest of the world, we are the wealthy. And compared to the rest of the world, we're the religious. We're the ones on church, in church on Sunday. This story is a wake-up call to good church-going folks. People like you and pastors like me. He's going to say three things here. Fall out of love with comfort and affluence. Instead, love the poor. He's going to say, stop expecting to be served. Instead, serve others. And he's going to say, don't deceive yourself by just hearing the word. Instead, obey it. Do it. Live it. Apply it. So I'm going to read through the story, just make a few comments along the way. So look at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So in church history, this rich man has been called uh, dives because that is a Latin word that describes a rich man. And he literally is wearing his wealth on his sleeve because it says here he's clothed in purple and fine linen. And uh, this guy doesn't sacrifice. Uh, he doesn't deprive himself. It says here he feasts sumptuously or extravagantly every day. Verse 20, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, this is not the same Lazarus that we see uh, in the Bible that Jesus raised from the dead because that Lazarus had money. That Lazarus had wealth. In fact, Jesus was hosted at Lazarus' house. So, so he had some money. This Lazarus is a poor man. Uh, he sits at the rich man's gate. He's close enough to kind of maybe see the food and maybe smell the food, but he's far enough away that the rich man can at least appear like he's uh, ignoring him. Notice it's the dogs who kind of, in a gross way, I think, <laughs> at least to me, meet this rich man's needs or the poor man's needs. The dogs in ancient Israel are not cute little household pets. The, they are... Um, mangy, wild creatures. 
And uh, they come up and they start licking this man's wounds. And I think in crafting this story, Jesus is making an extreme point. The dogs care more for this poor man, Lazarus, than the rich man does. The rich man literally pays no attention to this poor man who would just be thrilled if I could just get some crumbs off this guy's table. Look at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So this is probably a reference to the heavenly banquet. And it's probably a reference to the fact that this poor man gets to sit next to the patriarch, the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham himself. The Jewish listeners at the time would know that uh, this seating arrangement is a very high honor for this poor man. And we shouldn't be surprised at this turn of events because Jesus, when he came to this planet, showed us what the heart of God is. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. God has a heart for the poor. Verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Hades is the place of the dead. So this rich man is not where he wants to be. And in fact, he's kind of surprised that he ended up there. I mean, after all, I was part of the religious crowd. I was one of the Sunday school teachers. I kept the law. Don't think Jesus is saying here that the rich go to hell and the poor go to heaven. And that's, that's not the point here. If you think about it, we got a poor man named Lazarus who's actually in heaven sitting right next to Abraham who was a rich man back in his day. So if being rich was what sent you to hell, then Abraham wouldn't be in heaven. So it's not poverty or riches that sends one to either heaven or hell. It's our response to the good news of the gospel. And so Jesus is here teaching that an eternal destiny is out there for every single person on the planet. It's either going to be a place of judgment or it's going to be a place of joy. So where are you headed when you die? Is it going to be hell or is it going to be heaven? Then don't be too quick to say, oh man, it's heaven. Because this rich man thought that's where he was headed. This rich man was surprised where he ended up. And if your life has not been radically transformed by Jesus, then some of us in this room today are going to be surprised at where we're going to wake up. Now, we squirm a little bit when the Bible talks about judgment. And some of you came to church today, you're looking for something uplifting, and here I am talking about the two things that people don't want to hear about when they go to church, money and hell, in the same message. <laughs> Thanks, Chad, for giving me this passage. <laughs> it's not polite to talk about, right? But Jesus spoke about eternal judgment a lot and he talked about money a lot, and here he puts them both together in the same story. Over and over, the Bible says every single person is going to live eternity either in heaven or in hell. Look at verse 23. Being in torment, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. 
If you really think about what's going on here, this rich man is condemning himself even more because he's using Lazarus' personal name here. So if he knows Lazarus' personal name after he died, then it means he must have known Lazarus' personal name before he died, but he never lifted a finger to help the man. And now the rich man is daring to ask Lazarus to quench his thirst in the life to come. That's the very thing that he was not willing to do in the earthly life. And even in eternity, this rich man thinks that Lazarus is beneath him because he's trying to get Lazarus to serve him in the life to come. But Abraham said, verse 25, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And this sounds very much like what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7. How you treat others in this life is the way you're going to be treated in the life to come. This man is in hell because his heart never changed. He never turned from a selfish person to a selfless person. And if you're truly converted to Christ, yeah, we're going to struggle with areas of selfishness in our life. But the orientation of our life is away from selfishness to selflessness. See, when you meet Jesus Christ, you realize this is the one who died on the cross for me. He was rich in heaven and became poor so that I who am poor spiritually and emotionally can be rich someday. And, and because he has blessed me with so much, I have to bless other people. My priorities have changed. My priorities related to money and possessions in eternity, it's all going to change because I, I've been blessed so that I can be a blessing to other people. And if your life has changed, you're going to become more and more generous over time. You will become more like Jesus who came to care for the poor, the neglected, the despised, the last, the least, and the lost. Listen, a lack of compassion for poor people and needy people is really a commentary on the state of our heart. A selfish pursuit of comfort and affluence proves that our hearts have not really been touched by Jesus, that we've not really been changed. The way you invest your resources, either in yourself or in other people, is the way you're building a treasure chest somewhere. See, when Jesus comes, he's either going to take you to your treasure or he's going to take you from your treasure. So which will it be for you? Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, Abraham says between us here in paradise and you there in Hades is a great chasm. A great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. This chasm is not there because God is some kind of a mean, uncaring policeman in the sky that just can't wait to punish people. The chasm is fixed because God is a just God. And because this rich man never received grace, because this rich man never turned from his sin, because this rich man never moved from selfishness to selflessness, he doesn't change. My question for you is, have you changed? My question for me is, have I changed? We've got to turn from sin and turn to God before it's too late. Our eternal destiny is settled when we, receive, when we leave this world. 
this great chasm has been fixed, it says. That's why the Bible never teaches us to pray for the dead, because that's too late. Once you cross it to eternity, that's it. No more chances. This transition to either heaven or hell takes place the very moment that we die. Verse 27, And he, the rich man, said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he's thinking, well, if I can't get relief, maybe my family can get some relief. Maybe they can be saved. And it's a good thing he's finally thinking about somebody besides himself. But notice, he still wants Lazarus to serve him and to serve his family. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they, your five brothers, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So he's saying what Moses has written in the first five books of the Bible and what the prophets have written, that's the word of God, that is available to these five brothers. They got enough warning, enough of a message for their salvation because the word of God has the power to change the eternal destiny of somebody's life. When the seed of the word of God comes into a person's heart, if it falls on good soil, it will bear fruit. And part of the fruit that it will bear is the fruit of compassion for the poor, the last, the least, the lost, the broken, the wounded. And if there's none of that in your life, then you've got to conclude that the seed of the word of God isn't bearing the kind of fruit that it's supposed to bear. There's something wrong with my heart. Like, I can believe all the right stuff in my head, but if it never changes my life, I'm in trouble. Verse 30, and he, the rich man, said, No, Father Abraham, like, don't, don't just give them the Bible. That's not enough. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So he's in hell. He's arguing with Abraham. He still wants to be in charge. And now he's telling Abraham exactly how his brothers are supposed to be reached. It's like Moses, uh, Lazarus needs to come back from the dead and then they will believe. Suffering in Hades hasn't even changed this guy. Still self-absorbed, still self-important. He still wants to be in charge. He's earned his judgment. Verse 32, Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they won't listen to the scriptures, the word of God, they won't listen to anything. The problem's not with the message. The problem is with the audience. And now what's going on? Jesus is saying through this story to the Pharisees, to the religious elite, to the church-going crowd of the day, that they are not listening to the law and the prophets. You say you're experts in the law. You're not listening to the law and the prophets. That's why you won't come to me. That's why your life isn't being changed. You are exactly like the rich man in this story, and one day you're going to go to hell. Well, is it any wonder that these guys came together and ended up putting Jesus on the cross? This is not a popular message. This is not a feel-good message at all. And I think it's a sober warning to us about the use of our money. It's a sober opportunity for us to exp examine the state of our own hearts Wealth had hardened this rich man's heart. And the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world had choked out the word of God so that it did not bear fruit. And listen, that's a warning for us in Northeast Ohio. 
We are the wealthy. We are the religious. And the question is, has the desire for affluence and comfort and technology and cars and houses and clothes and entertainment and recreation crowded out the word of God in our lives? Wealth doesn't always have that effect, but it can have the effect, and it often does. Either we're going to own our money or our money's going to own us. You cannot serve both God and money. So this story is not given to us to give us all these amazing insights about heaven and hell. There are some insights about heaven and hell here, for sure. But it's a story to rebuke the rich, the people in the suburbs of Northeast Ohio. What's he saying to us today? One, fall out of love with comfort and affluence and instead love the poor. Literally love the poor. You got more than you need to help people in need. And some of you are saying, well, I don't have as much more that I need than him. So he's got a greater responsibility to help the poor than me. You know, I, I, I got some things I'm trying to get accomplished. And someday, sometime, somehow, I will help, but not now. You got to be careful about that. This rich man believed in that day's version of the prosperity gospel. Because I'm right with God, God's blessed me with wealth and health, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I don't really have to share it, because God's just poured this out on me. I'm awesome. Don't let the good life fool you into thinking that you're right with God. Your insensitivity to the needs of people around you actually demonstrate that you're wrong with God. Fall out of love with comfort and influence. Instead, love the poor. Second, stop expecting to be served. Instead, serve others. This man in Hades, did you see that? He's still trying to get Lazarus to serve him. It's all about his own comfort. People whose lives have been transformed, people who are actually becoming more like Jesus, realize that the greatest among us are the ones who serve the most and the best. And it especially pleases the heart of God when you serve the last, the least, and the lost. So stop expecting to be served. Instead, serve others. And then third, don't deceive yourself by just hearing the word. Instead, obey it. I mean, come on. If you've been hanging around church at all, you know you're supposed to serve the least of these. You know that God already wants you to take care of orphans and widows. We already know we're supposed to visit the sick and the prisoner. We already know we're supposed to feed the hungry and serve the poor. We already know we're supposed to take care of refugees and aliens and strangers among us. The Bible is full of commands that say, give justice to the oppressed. But what are we doing about it? Literally, what are we doing about it? You can't just know it. It's got to be done. You say, well, I don't know what to do. I can't do everything. Well, pick a global Goliath of some sort. Literacy for people that can't read. Clean water for people that don't have it. Food for folks. Pick a global Goliath out there and knock it down as best you can with your life. That's evidence that Jesus is really your Savior, that you're really a follower of Christ, that you're really being conformed to His image, because that's what He did. And that's what He's called us to do. Don't just be a hearer of the Word, be a doer of it. Peter Gurry, who's a professor at Phoenix Seminary out in 
The Southwest says a heart unwilling to help others because it might be risky or they might not deserve it or it might cost us too much is a heart unwilling to recognize the desperate help we ourselves need from God. And the stakes couldn't be higher since heaven and hell hang in the balance. You know, if you've been through this series, you've probably noticed in Luke how much the Bible talks about money. In fact, we met this morning at about 7 o'clock to pray for all of you guys. And Pastor Chad, in that prayer meeting, was saying, Dear Lord, help our people process, because we've got Sunday after Sunday after Sunday where we've been talking about money. Help them not tune out and turn off because of the emphasis. But listen, this is not our emphasis. We're just going through the parables. It's Jesus' emphasis. The book of Luke is full of it. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at just 10 references to wealth in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to do what churches used to call responsive reading. That we're, that's where the pastor reads a passage of Scripture, and then you respond by reading one collectively as a congregation. So these are top 10 verses on money, possessions, and, and uh, wealth in Luke. So here we go. And the crowds asked John the Baptist, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teachers, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers went asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Your turn. Jesus said, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And the next day the good Samaritan took out two denarii and gave, it, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. Jesus said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus said, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And Jesus said, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both and money. 
I just believe if Jesus were here today, physically, he would be challenging us, encouraging us, exhorting us, and begging us, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Stop this insane pursuit of comfort and affluence and recreation and entertainment and technology and cars and houses and clothes. Actually start caring for poor you, one-on-one. Do something practical. Take care of the oppressed, the broken, the needy, the orphan, the refugee, the sick, the widow. And do it in practical, hands-on ways. Don't pay somebody else to do it. You do it. And sometimes the best way to understand how to apply something is just see somebody model it. And I've asked Tom Wagner, how did you model this? He's the founder with his wife Sue of Care on the Square. And I said, would you describe a time in your life when you were insensitive to the needs of the poor? He goes, for the majority of my life, this described me. I would walk past, not make eye contact, not acknowledge them. I would think they would be scamming me, that they're not really in need. And I would judge them and think, why don't they get a job? I said, what happened? How did God get your attention? He said, well, my wife Sue worked downtown and we would see homeless people sleeping on the streets over the sewer grates to keep warm. She started a Christmas tradition with her sister, purchasing McDonald breakfast sandwiches and making coffee. And they'd walk around downtown serving the homeless people they encountered. One year, Sue and I were dating. They did this and a man they encountered said, could I go to church with you the next day? Well, she made arrangements to pick him up on Public Square. So when she told me about it, I decided I'd go with her. And we thought the man might be hungry, so we stopped and got a breakfast to take him. And when we got to the square, he didn't show up. Well, I saw another homeless man. I got out of the car to give him the breakfast. And then I was immediately approached by several people in need. I saw the need and the look on their faces, and I tried to give something to each of them. Sue was watching it all. When I got back in the car, we both said, we have to come back and do something. And this is the beginning of what we now call care on the square. I said, how has investing in life of the poor actually changed you? He goes, looking them in the eye and listening to their story helps me be, see them as people creating the image of God. It helps me realize that trials, temptations, and problems of this world are constantly trying to bring us all down. We are all one bad decision, one mistake, or one catastrophe away from being right there where they are in their shoes. And I think all of this helps me to be less judgmental and more compassionate. Then he says, I'm still a work in progress. And I said, well, what would you say to people in Northeast Ohio to be involved in serving the poor? How would you mobilize us? He says, look in their eyes, acknowledge them, and listen to their story. That simple step will encourage them and change you. I mean, here's a man who was doing nothing. And now his life has been transformed through the power of Christ as he's poured himself out to help those less fortunate. You know, the Pharisees, the church-going folk like us, they were Jesus' greatest enemies back in the day. They didn't get him. They didn't get his agenda. They just wanted God to shower them with blessings and to make their lives work. And I just think there are probably a lot of God users in this room. I want God to make my life work better. Give me health. Give me wealth. And if you don't, I'm kind of t- 
ticked. Tim Keller writes about the dangers of Pharisaism today, even in evangelical churches like this. We tend to draw conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people. The licentious and the liberated or the broken and the marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had then we must not be declaring the same message Jesus did. If we refuse to believe that we could be like the Pharisees, like the rich man in this story, then we're just as vulnerable as those Pharisees who ended up murdering Jesus 2,000 years ago. How would you know if you've subtly become a modern-day Pharisee? You might be a Pharisee if you know what to say, but you do not do what you say. You might be a Pharisee if you lack real love for people in need. You might be a Pharisee if you tend to cover over your sin and excuse your sin instead of repenting and confessing it. Do you recognize any of those symptoms in yourself? You say, okay, 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 what, what, what am I supposed to do? You need to do what God's Spirit says to do. But I don't think God's Spirit is going to tell anybody in this room, do nothing. And maybe you want to volunteer for Carol on the Square. You just go to their website, www.carolinthesquare.org, and Tom and Sue will get you plugged in to help them serve the homeless downtown. Uh, one of our church plants is called Refuge Community Church. Uh, it's a church in Old Brooklyn, just straight up Broadview Road. And their focus is, how can we serve the unemployed, the underemployed? How can we serve the ex-con, the drug addict, the, 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 those, those people that, you know, maybe they're suffering with some kind of a mental illness or something? Uh, Don and Don Sallow are doing a great job planning a church there. Some of our people are already volunteering there. And if you want to find out more about that, out in the foyer, there'll be a bunch of people in uh, blue T-shirts, and they'll tell you how you can get involved and actually hands-on helping folks out there. And some of you want to do something about, you know, I want to help. I want to, but my, man, my finances are all jacked up and they're all messed up. I don't have a lot of margin. How do I, I got money coming in, but I don't manage it well. We got a ministry here called Generous Life. And Brenda Leisinger would love to get you connected to maybe help coach you one-on-one -on -one with your finances. Uh, you can go to a seminar so uh, you could find out more. Just reach out to Brenda. Remember that man named Paul? The beginning of the message, robbed and beaten at the ATM, hospitalized, came homeless. Life was changed because of Tom and Sue and the Carroll Square ministry. I just wonder, will there be a poor Paul someday, somewhere, somehow, who has been cared for you, who has been invested in by you, and their life has been changed? Or are you just going to take care of you and yours? We have more than we need to help people in need. And unless we're doing it, we're more like this rich man than we dare to believe. Lord God, we don't want to have the Pharisee spirit. We don't want a false assurance of salvation. We don't want to just be informed about you. We want to be transformed by you. We want to be the real deal. We don't want to be surprised on our death day waking up in a place of torment. We want our death day to be the best day because we're waking up 
to be with you. Help us not be mere hearers of your word. Let us be doers, creating us not only a clean heart, but a generous heart. Help us to not ignore the wounded, the broken, the poor, the needy. May we not attempt to justify ourselves before you, but let us be like the man who said, Lord, Jesus Christ, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as you pour out your generosity to us, let us pour out generosity onto others. Please change us. Let us live a generous life, a life that invests in your work, the money you've entrusted to us. And help us to believe truly that we have more than we need to help people in need and then to act on it. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen.